This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase to Must podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Panko Chicken. The new Atlanta restaurant thrives off of a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine and is already racking up the awards, winning Best Selling Taste in the Taste of Atlanta Awards both in 2017 and 2018. So if you're in the metro Atlanta area and are wanting to try something new and good and delicious, go to Panko Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. You'll be glad you did, I promise. Panko Chicken, where eats meets West. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, welcome to a Thursday night edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. I am now joined by one of my favorite hockey writers, Ryan Beach of Sportsnet, the Athletic Vancouver Canucks Army. I'm noticing a trend here, that being that he is very familiar with the Canucks and. The Canucks are an interesting team right now in hockey. They started off far more interesting, but they're still interesting because people are leaving, people are going. Um, Elias Peterson's just crazy good. Uh, but Ryan, first things first, good evening. How are you? I'm well. Thanks for having me on. So I need to, like, what, I remember when I first uh, wanted to reach out to you, I, I had to take a glance at your Twitter uh, profile, and I found that uh, you have a red panda as your cover photo and red pandas hold a special place in my heart. So I just wanted to see what the story is behind red pandas. Are you a big red panda fan? I am. Yeah. My wife uh, likes to give me uh, a lot of trouble for it, but uh, for some what? reason I've just Why? always been, I have no idea. They're the best, <laughs> but uh, oh, yeah, I always yeah. like to, I like red pandas for some reason. And, you know, there's always a suggestion to, you know, try to streamline your, you know, social media presence for this kind of thing. And it's like, now I'm going to have a red panda there. And I always get asked. And it's like, just a big fan. That's all it is. <laughs> They're the best. I'm the red pandas. I highly encourage you to go to Central Park Zoo and check out the red pandas there. They're, they're my favorite that I've come across thus far. Oh, man, I will next time for sure. Yeah, there you go. Um, but I would love to continue talking about red pandas, but I, I think we need to get into some Vancouver Canucks information. And, you know, the Canucks, man, they, like I said, they're about 500, but it's kind of a misnomer because their point differential, I believe, is like minus 13. So they've played above their heads, especially to start this season, and they're kind of coming back down to earth um, so I wanted to start there. What have uh, you taken from uh, the Vancouver Canucks uh, start to the season? Yeah, it's kind of been a, a tale of, you know, two different stories here. Um, they started the year really hot when they were healthy. Um, and, you know, I, I think that they were kind of getting lucky in the sense that, you know, the games that they were winning, they were playing really well. And then the games that they were losing, they were playing pretty poorly. So it was kind of containing either way. So, you know, when you look at the 
the sum of the numbers, you're like, oh, this team isn't too bad. But if you kind of broke it down based on, you know, per game and kind of, you know, went with some score adjustments and things like that, you're like, oh, there's some concerns here. And then, you know, the injury bug hit and then it kind of fell off the path from there. So, you know, at this time, they're sitting 22nd in the league and that's probably where they are more as a team than anything else. Um, point percentage, I think they're a few spots lower. So, you know, they kind of come back down to earth, but, um, you know, it's a little bit more exciting this year with Elias Pedersen and Brock Besser and Bo Horvat and even Jake Rattan to some degree is that at least it's being led by what many fans hope to be the core of the organization going forward. So I think that, you know, in years past, the losses hurt a little bit more, um, a little bit more frustrating, where I think that a lot of fans are accepting of 3-2 losses with, you know, a goal from Besser and a nice performance by Pedersen just because, you know, they, they look to that as a hope in the future of the organization. How much of a just fan favorite has Pedersen become so quickly? Is he just like the guy when you're at games? Is it just like an electric thing where people have gravitated towards him? Or is it still this uh, kind of slow process or is everybody bought in on him? I think everybody bought in on him. Um, I think I think his first goal, which was you know in the first game um, against Calgary, was just something that kind of got them to get really excited. It was a something that nobody had really seen in the longest time of just a rookie having the confidence on a two-on-one to rip his shot and beat you know Mike Smith top corner and the excitement in the building and you know and then he kind of has added to it with each passing game. You you kind of get that sense that, you know, every time he's on the ice or with the puck that something's going to happen, it might not be a goal, but it'll be a dangle or this ridiculous pass or just the way he thinks the game. And in terms of, you know, he seems to always be a step ahead. And, and it's funny, his personality too has come across because, you know, here in Vancouver, there's a pretty big, you know, social media and, and, and regular media presence in terms of following the Canucks. And that allows, you know, more spotlights to be shed on players. So, you know, he's a little bit, I don't want to say sassy is the right word, but I think he doesn't tolerate silly questions from media and those always jump out mm-hmm. and he, he's smiling on the ice and the cameras catch that. So there's that personality behind it, which has kind of helped to elevate him even further, despite him, you know, pretty much tearing up the league so far. So he's kind of got some Russell Westbrook in him is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of a good, good idea to, or good, like a good, uh, you know, comparison between the two. I think it's just a combination. And, and I think that the fan base was ready for, a, you know, I don't want to say superstar, but a player that could be a superstar. You kind of got glimpse of it with Besser last year. Um, but you Pedersen is almost at another level and he's making Besser better, which just gets fans even more excited. Have you had any time to have some just uh, more than a few minutes to talk with him? Have you gleamed anything from your conversations with him to start this year? Or what have you learned most about him? Or is there anything that's kind of stood out from your conversations with him that you're like, oh, this was interesting. I wasn't expecting this. Um, well, you know, myself, if anyone does follow me, I, you know, I primarily follow prospects for the Canucks and, and do cover the team, but, you know, primarily covering the prospects. So, you know, last mm-hmm. season, I was pretty much the guy covering Pedersen last year. And then, you know, you could see the talent on the ice and, and see how good he was, but obviously he's thousands of miles away from me on the other side of the world in Sweden. So you didn't kind of understand his thought process for it. So you can only go off video and what you're seeing, but then, you know, speaking with him is just that he seems like such a driven kid, a kid who wants to be better every single game, every single day. And despite tearing up the league so far this year, he still thinks that he has another level. And I think that that's what's really stood out. And, and you know, there's the story about him, you know, he, he, when he was, sorry, when he was prior to being drafted, 
you know, his shot was probably his weakness. Like I'm not saying it was a, a poor shot or anything like that, but if you were looking at his game, it was definitely the weakest thing. And I think now you can arguably say it's one of his strengths. And, and he spent so much time working on that shot. He broke down the shot to figure out how to improve each part of it. And you could now looking back at last year, it's kind of an, an, an oh wow moment because you can understand where all of a sudden he started scoring goals at a rapid pace and you can see how that process changed. Is that a rarity for guys to be able to flip this kind of flip the script like that, where their the scoring is not their skill set that late in their career? And I mean, not late, but just like playing hockey for years, and then to finally kind of switch, um, just a couple of years removed from becoming a superstar, is that kind of an odd thing? Did I know you said you didn't really see this coming with him because you saw um, what he was uh, in Sweden? But is this a rarity, or is um, this just kind of sometimes part of the norm if it the, if a guy is going to be a star or a superstar? star i think it's you know when you're going to see players of this level it's a little bit more common but as a you know as a wide sweeping you know generalization i don't think so because you know a lot of the times you know you're going to have a 19 year old coming into an nhl lineup um the coach might not want to afford them the opportunity to work on those things and and show Mm -hmm. that aspect of their game so it's a combination of you know the player understanding uh what their issue is having the confidence to recognize that issue have the confidence to find out how to get better at it, work at it, and then have a coaching staff and management group who's, you know, willing to give him the opportunity to improve in that aspect as well, um, you know, developing and then as well as, you know, get the opportunity in NHL lineup. So, you know, there was a lot of conversation prior to him coming over um, that, uh, you know, he's going to be a winger because that's what he played primarily in the SHL last season. Uh, but, you know, coach, uh, you know, praising to the coaching staff, they put him at center and he's done well there. And that's just kind of a, a good representation of how that has allowed him to do his thing. And then it allows him to have Brock Besser on his side or uh, another winger that then can complement his skill rather than, you know, the opposite kind of thing. Is he your rookie of the year right now? Yeah, I, I, I can't envision a scenario where he's not going to be. Um, there's obviously some good oh, players wow. like Kachuk and things like that. Like, I think that I haven't had a chance to check recently, but if I'm not mistaken, he he has like 10 or 11 more points than the next rookie. Um, So as long Mm -hmm. as he maintains a a fairly, you know, point per game pace, it won't be too much of an issue to continue to have that gap. Do you have a Hughes update? What's going on there? Uh, Yeah. Another player that, you know, Canucks fans are pretty excited about. And I think that, uh, you know, I think also American fans will be pretty excited about with the world juniors starting in a couple of weeks is that Mm -hmm. um, he's, you know, I think he gives everything that the Canucks need on the back end in terms of, um, you know, a power play quarterback ability to transition the puck really well um, and skate out. And he, you know, despite being a little bit smaller, he does play with a little bit of edge and, and, you know, gumption to his game. He's not going to hit, but he's not willing, you know, he doesn't shy away from it. So, I'm really excited to see what he's going to do at the World Juniors. Last year, he was kind of a bit part for them. Um, and, you know, he, he played pretty well. And then he went to the World Championships. And he, again, that kind of a depth role for them. But again, played pretty well. But this year, he's going to be the guy for the Americans on the back end. And they're pretty loaded with, you know, starting with his brother on the front. So it'll be really exciting to see. And I think he's going to put up quite a few points and get uh, the hype train going a little bit more than it already is right now. Does he have more upside than Pedersen or no? Uh, I... I, I would say no, uh, just okay. because I think Pedersen is, you know, we've kind of changed what Pedersen's ceiling is going to be um, at this point. But I think that if mm-hmm. there are, you know, if we're looking at the defensive group from the last draft, if we're going to say that there's going to be a defenseman outside of Rasmus Dahlin, who went to Buffalo, um, who's going to have the highest ceiling, I think we can say that uh, Hughes would be that guy just because of how he escaped the puck. But 
I think we can, you know, there's whispers of saying that Pedersen is on trajectory to be a superstar. And I think that's fair. I don't know if Hughes will be able to get to that same level, but I think he's going to be a very, 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 very good player for them. Well, he's the right age, 19. So 19 has been good for Vancouver so far. So we'll see. Um, Buffalo, man, what a weird story. Like I've just gotten used to them just being bad and bad and bad. And, uh, it's a good moment for them. And like, I think uh, down goes Brown had Buffalo as like in the top five of most likely to win a Stanley cup within like the next 10 years of his power rankings. And that was kind of, I mean, amazing to me that they've moved up that much and just kind of uh, their turnaround because they've just, it feels like they've been in the cellar forever. So it's, it's a good, a good story for Buffalo fans, right? Yeah, for sure. And it, it almost feels like it just all of a sudden clicks for them. Um, and yeah. I don't think it's, it's not, yeah, it's not even just Ross Metallian. It just seems to be all of a sudden it clicked properly. And, you know, um, you know, rebuild is a pretty common thing across most sports. And, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes you feel like you're treading water and the other times you're doing everything right. It just doesn't work. And I think that, you know, they were doing all the, you know, the smart moves in terms of accumulating picks and younger players and assets. And it just wasn't working. And then all of a sudden, this year, it just seemed to go right for them. And Dolan is a big part of that. But Eichel taking a step, that fantastic trade for Jeff Skinner. Um, hopefully, they can re-sign him and can make it even, you know, yeah. last even longer. You know, Reinhardt is finally taking a step forward. It, it just seems to be a combination of things that just seems to be right. And, uh, you know, I don't think anyone really predicted it. Um, it's fun to watch. Um, you know, Sabres have always been a, an interesting team for us to follow here in Vancouver because expansion cousin with the Canucks. So it's, uh, it's good to see for mm-hmm. them. And I know that there's a lot of people excited for them. Yeah, and then there's the Ducks who just mediocre teams to death, which exactly. um, I'm here for. You know, they they're kind of like the Red Wings wish, like Ken Holland wishes he could do what the Ducks are doing right now, where just still somehow pull wins out of your ass and just get, accumulate these points. And like you look up and down the roster, and you're like, outside of the goaltending, like, I don't understand how this team is winning games. But they're winning games over and over again. There's not strong talent there. There's they're not top heavy and. Um, they're pretty old and slow and it's, it's very bizarre, but, uh, I'll take it, um, with the ducks. I'll take their weird winning and, uh, I don't know. It's just, the ducks are still a very baffling team, kind of like the Sabres in just very different ways. Um, what about, uh, Mr. Palmu? What happened there? <laughs> uh, if you missed uh, on Canucks Twitter today, it's been quite the, quite the battleground. It's been uh, wild. Yeah. It's been a little bit wild, which, which happens quite often with anything <laughs> with the Canucks. Uh, yeah, so, you know, Petrus Palm Lewis, a recent six-round pick of the Canucks, I think he was kind of a, a home-run pick for them when they took him. Um, you know, mm-hmm. he, he dominated the Ontario Hockey League pretty well as a 5-6 forward. And, you know, at that point in the draft, you want to swing for the fence. Uh, he went over to Finland last year and did really well with Name the Rookie of the Year. And so people were like, okay, there's now a... Now he's going back. <laughs> now he's going back, yeah. Um, and it's just that... <laughs> it's kind of that same thing I was talking about how like, you know, you do everything right. And it, sometimes it works and sometimes you do things wrong and it works. And, you know, he just couldn't uh, secure a, a roster spot in his lineup. Um, the argument is that he wasn't afforded the opportunity to do so, which I think is also true, but you know, he didn't, you know, take advantage of it. So it's a, you know, it's, it's always, there's always a lightning rod for things like this. You know, we talk about, um, you know, the, how to develop prospects and, you know, Paul Moo is probably not the perfect example, but everybody points to it as being a flaw because it's now not worked the way it, it probably would have hoped to. Are fans used to the Sedins just being gone now? It's weird. I, I'll not, I'll, I can't, I can't lie there. Um, I, I grew up obviously in Vancouver and uh, pretty much, mm-hmm. you know, most of my adult life, the Sedins have been here. Um, and have been large parts. And ever since I kind of started covering, they were, you know, 
uh, the guys here, and they were the only the, they were the only people in the locker room that I was ever nervous to talk to, just because the the stature that they hold here. And yeah, mm-hmm. it was a it's been definitely odd to not have them there because we talk about that youth core, we talk about those players, you know, carrying the team forward. But then you kind of forget that the Sabines were here, you know, less than <laughs> eight months ago, right? Leading this team. It, yeah. It's definitely odd. And you see them around Vancouver still running triathlons and running up mountains. It, it's a weird dynamic for sure. Yeah. Kind of sad. I mean, they announced it, what, in like April and uh, they both left. It wasn't even one at a time. Very selfish of them to go at the <laughs> same time, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, it's they kind of announced it the, the week before the season ended and you know, there was the sense that it might be coming, but it still didn't change the impact of them leaving. And that last week was pretty, it was pretty special because I think that's been a pretty tough couple of years to be a Canucks fan prior to, you know, the start of this year. So I think it rallied all, all Canucks fans, you know, the negative ones, the positive ones, everyone to, you know, get behind these two iconic players that had done so much for the organization that unfortunately they weren't able to capture that final prize, but um, they mean so much to the city that it was, it was really cool to see that, whole city come together behind them so how many years do you think this rebuild is going to take for the canucks to get back to uh contention for the cup uh it would be it'd be pretty it's hard to predict right um <laughs> you know they I mean, believe in the and the uh the lightning they're not going anywhere anytime soon and then you think about the sabers are coming and you think about other teams like that i mean yeah it, it's hard to forecast yeah exactly and, and you know it's always complicated to kind of figure out how they're going to do it you know, with Seattle coming in in a couple of years, the Canucks are kind of in that situation where they, you, you can make the argument that they're starting to form their core pieces with Pedersen and Besser and Horvath. And, you know, that, you know, you can make the argument that that's a good building foundation to go off and then add Hughes to that and add, mm-hmm. you know, maybe Demko and Nets. And, and you're like, okay, this is, we have some, we have something we can build off of and what are we going to do? But then you look at two and a half years, three years down the road and there's that looming expansion draft where the Canucks could, you know, if they're trying to add players now, then they might just lose a player for nothing in three years, and then you're taking a step back. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see how the management group can handle that, how they can add to this core and support them, and then how long it will take. If I had to guess, um, you know, I, I think that, you know, next year they're going to show strides of improvement again, and then the following year I think it's fair to argue that they'll be in the mix for the playoff run. And then, you know, if it goes year by year you could look at st louis i think many people pointed to them as being a, a playoff contender and they're an absolute train wreck so you never know yeah. what can happen a year can write off and then you break up the core but i think that they're on the trajectory to be playoff competitors as early as next year and then re- legitimate ones the year after that okay what makes uh vancouver canucks game special I, I, for someone who's never been or hasn't really experienced the vancouver um canuck fandom like what makes those fans so passionate what makes going to a game there so surreal and so entertaining uh <laughs> if you've ever been to vancouver's to get out of the rain that's why right <laughs> i mean i really uh, want to go to vancouver everything about vancouver appeals to me and fits my personality type i've romanticized vancouver uh perhaps a little too much um, over the years, but uh, Vancouver has been on the near the top of my bucket list for a long time. I, I love Vancouver, and I also, um, I don't know, there's just everything about it. It makes sense to me. It appeals to me. So I want you to sell me on Canucks hockey if I w- go there and I go to a game. Like, what, what should I be prepared for? Uh, it's usually, you know, it's a good, it is a good experience. I think that the upper bowl is definitely the better of the two, just because you can get the fan experience in there. 
Um, I think what, you know, what I really do like about the, you know, the Canucks, how they make these things is that they are willing to try things. There's, you know, there's a fan section that's at some games. They have, they're trying different food options that are around Vancouver and, you know, they, they, you know, they adjust the way the players come in and, and how they hype you up and, and music. So I think in that sense, it's actually kind of, they try to make it as, as good as possible for the fans. Um, you know, some miss, some are terrible and some are good. Um, but overall, it's a lot I of fun. You're a, I assume you're referring to when they actually had a whale, a killer whale, come out of the um, come out of the rink uh, before the game as like a, to get everybody hyped. Um, yes, yeah, the real one. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I thought you were going to make fun of the the lovely mascot Finn there, and I was going to be like, "Hey, you be nice to him, okay?" <laughs> no, I'm very pro Canuck. It's a very good mascot. I'm very pro whale, especially killer whale or whatever. Like, is it a killer whale? What do we even call it? What is a Canuck? What is the mascot? Is it a killer whale? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I think that. Right? I thought it was a killer yeah. whale. Okay. <laughs> it is technically. I think you know they've had that logo for quite a while, and I think it's kind of a homage to the you know the first nations people out here and and trying to connect it to the pacific northwest with killer whales we see killer whales you know if you go you know out into the inlet you can definitely see some so it's it's not a crazy idea i'm going to vancouver you sold me you can see killer whales from just like walking out in the beach and like oh there they are just hanging out trying to find some seals to toss up in the air and uh catching their mouth yeah that makes sense all right you sold me nothing nothing else um they just can't wear the i hate those old school throwbacks with just a stick i I can't believe that's a logo of just a stick like yeah that's it i I don't understand it the most popular one is the the skate, which is the one that they wore like in 94 with the black and the red and mm. yellow. That's okay. kind of the, it's making a comeback, especially with people of my age, because, you know, I was nine years old when the, they made the run in 94. So I definitely have a mm. lot of nostalgia to that and a lot of my yeah. peer group as well. So that now that our age group are, you know, in our 20s and 30s and, and early 40s, you know, we're the ones spending the money. So we're, we're hiking back to that time and look back at there, right? So that's kind of a, where it's going. But yeah. Um, Otherwise, you know, if you want to get excited about Canucks games, it is, you know, it is, it is the Pedersons and the Besters. And I think that we haven't seen anything like that. And it's a, you know, the NHL is a superstar driven league teams would live and die by them. And, you know, being able to come to a game and, and have that sense of anticipation um, of, you know, what is Elias Pedersen going to do tonight is a weird feeling, but that definitely is, it, it feels like it's starting to be worth the price of admission. Last thing, and then we'll go. Um, how excited you touch on Seattle a little bit. They did get awarded the 32nd NHL team. They, we still have like three years away before they start, but, um, how excited are you for the Northwest, uh, rivalry to kick off like Seattle versus Vancouver? Are Vancouver fans worried or Vancouver ownership worried at all that, uh, some fans might deflect to Seattle if the team's not good. Does this incentivize the Vancouver Canucks to expedite this rebuild of like, okay, Elias, we need you to get good before Seattle. We need you to become like a household name before uh, Seattle comes, comes into the fold. Um, like, what do you make of the Seattle Vancouver um, looming Pacific Northwest battle? And also do you have an idea for a nickname? Oh no, I'm, I'm terrible for that. Uh, mm, I'll leave that okay. to people who are much better uh, creatively than me. Um, I'm down for whatever. Um, personally, I'm a huge fan of Seattle. Um, if they want to throw a port- team in Portland too, I will get behind that 150%. Um, both fantastic cities. I love going to them. So any excuse, uh, even if it's a fan or to go, you know, work to cover the Canucks, I will be 
a hundred percent down for that. So from that standpoint, uh, sign me up. Um, it's actually surprising that I, I don't know if the word surprising is right, but Canucks uh, ownership group has been very supportive of the expansion mm-hmm. of the Seattle team. And you kind of touched on the reasons why that natural rival, we don't really have one. Like there is that rivalry with the flames in Calgary and, and Edmonton, but they have each other and they're on the other side of the mountains. And like, we're talking a 12 hour drive away. If you're, Mm -hmm. if it's not snowing in the Rockies kind of thing. Right. So having a team that two and a half hours away is a lot of, you know, it it excites fans because you can make that road trip, you know, Canucks fans do travel. I've personally done a fan trip myself down to LA to catch them when they played the ducks and the Kings. And I had an absolute blast and there was thousands of fans there. So better. Oh, the two arenas. Yeah. Honda Center, uh, which everybody loves. Who can who could resist the Honda Center in Anaheim or uh, <laughs> Staples Center? Yeah, what what was a better experience? Uh, I had a I had a better time at uh, at the Honda Center um, because it's more intimate. Those fans are more hardcore. That kind of yeah, stuff. It's smaller. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. And I was staying really close to the Honda Center just because we were there for a couple of days. So we did mm. the Disneyland. Gotcha. And so it was, you know, I took um, a taxi back to my sleeping arrangements after I uh, enjoyed some adult beverages. So that was okay. probably why it was more of a rowdy experience rather than the Staples Center. But the Staples Center, was, you know, that was cool because of how much stuff is there. You know, the Lakers and the Clippers and the Kings and all that stuff. It was just cool to go experience mm. the Staples Center and see the, you know, how big it was and how big of a scope it was. So from that sense, it was kind of even. Yeah, if I had to choose, I'd probably go to the Honda Center just and because of that. And before the Kings uh, were on pace to be bad for the next 27 years. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nice. And, their, and their youngest player is, what, 64 years old or something like that? Something like that, I believe. It feels like yeah. forever ago when they were like, oh, could the Kings come back from 3-0? If there was ever a team to do it, it's the Kings. And then they just got swept and that's it. And they're, uh, the next decade is just blackness it's, it's gonna be pretty bad great yeah in los angeles land um yeah, yeah. wow sad times well that's another <laughs> bucket list I, I i did not expect to end this podcast on uh poor los angeles kings but you know what uh they have a good fan base it's fine i feel bad for fan bases that know like they stare into the abyss because there's no way out like red wings fans are lying to themselves devil's fans to some extent there are different fan bases where they're like oh, ottawa senator fans are like well maybe our owner will sell at one point who knows like that's their hopes that's pretty dark um, I, I, I don't have too much sympathy for the kings of uh, king fans though they do have two stanley cops in the last decade true. so that's it's true. hard to that's feel fair. any same thing with like chicago they're pretty much they're a pretty bad team as well no, but chicago had an amazing decade and also they have like forty thousand cups anyway like they're exactly. they've been around for no the blackhawks fans no you don't get anything you've had a great run um yeah, yeah. all right well go watch elias Patterson if you have not already go check in to see which vancouver canucks are just going to flee the country to their homeland to finland wherever sweden you never know with the canucks which players are just going to get up and leave you never know in vancouver but um (laughs) ryan will have you covered if it does happen because ryan beach covers um the connects for a multitude of locations and you can follow him on twitter at ryan beach and read him at connectsarmy.com where he's a managing editor and you can also read him for prospect analysis on the athletic vancouver and if you're not already a subscriber to the athletic um what are you doing go ahead and do that and all that good stuff ryan this has been a blast thank you so much for taking the time Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right. We're back on the Chase Thomas podcast, and I am now joined by 
not that Ryan Adams, but this Ryan Adams. Ryan, good evening. How are you? How's it going, Chase, man? It's going good. It's good. It's good. Um, we talked a couple days ago, trying to mash out uh, what we were going to talk about tonight, and we decided to just stick to how it happens for somebody, especially like how do the sports gods just put someone on this earth that ends up being a Georgia fan and a Detroit Lions fan, knowing full well they will never see a championship in their lifetime. It's depressing. Georgia's, Georgia's, Georgia's ruining my life. It's, it's, it's tough. Lions are staying true. Uh, my predictions were god-awful this year. Mm-hmm. Where did I have them going? Like some absurd... Thirteen and three, nine, and that's still in play. But I, I, we even talked about before we started recording that we weren't going to talk about the Lions. But it does feel <laughs> like I was thinking about him this week that this team kind of reminds me of, or I guess I should say Matt Stafford. The point he's in in his career reminds me of Carson Palmer a little bit in Cincinnati. We are like everybody agrees he's a good enough quarterback to win a title on the right team at the right time, but he's just been there for so long now. We're just like. I mean, if the Raiders are going to do what the Raiders are going to do, then you might as well just take that because it was insane, that package they got for him years ago. And then kind of seeing him on Arizona, and they were Super Bowl contenders. And, I mean, people were picking Arizona to win the Super Bowl or at least get to the Super Bowl in the NFC a couple years ago. And I think that's kind of where Stafford is. Like, if you traded him, I mean, Denver, like with that defense, a healthy Chris Harris and what they have coming back and Bradley Chubb getting coached up and Philip Lindsay and just the kind of weapons, Cortland Sutton, who's coming on, like – that would be the dream scenario, I think, because I, I think we need to give up on John Elway ever picking the right uh, young quarterback. I don't think that's ever going to happen, and it's uh, maybe that's their new identity is they just trade for quarterbacks who are clearly good enough to win a Super Bowl, but they're just never going to win it with their own team and just seeing what happens because the, the Lions have a lot of holes. I mean, Darius Slay was back, big play Slay, pick six this week um, in one of the most unwatchable games of the year, <laughs> the Cardinals-Lions, which... Did you even watch that? Could you bear to watch Lions football, especially against this uh, iteration of the Cardinals? You know, like the, the sad thing was, is it was just, it's a terrible game to watch. It's just got awful to watch, but Detroit played well. Like even like if you, if you listen to uh, Patricia's past game, uh, post game conference, he even said the same thing. It was, just, it, was a, it was a slow methodical game. And it, it reminded them of like the SEC back in the day with like a, seven to three game like it was it wasn't a great game to watch but it was effective they played they played well i mean it was arizona so you know it is what it is but excited love when my coach says we we played effective and a a shout out to some old sec football that everybody loved (laughs) well like lsu alabama oh who could have who could have missed it one of my favorite title games of all time when that game across the 50 loved it right that game is only good to watch once every 10 years though right like you don't want to. No, you want to see that every day. <laughs> I, I'll say that was a good game to watch. Like it, you know no. what? Like every now and then, it's good to see a game where it's just defensive dominated because you don't see it ever. Never yeah. do you see that kind of game, and it was actually refreshing to see it. But conversely, it's the same thing. Like you don't want to see like a because it gets boring watching eighty to eighty nine. At some point, like it gets diluted. Like you can't just you got to have some kind of a medium, but. You know, back to the point. Like, it was a terrible game to watch, but it was it was kind of like the the Patriots game where Detroit just beat them, and it felt good, but it was terrible to watch. Mm-hmm. At the end of the game, you were just like, they just beat them. Period. There was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But it was just a terrible game to watch. You're not lying. 
if because you have a special relationship with Matt Stafford and you and I have argued about him a lot over the years, and uh, I would you feel some sort of just kind of I don't want to say closure, but would you? Would you be happier if Stafford got traded and won a Super Bowl with like the Broncos, the Dolphins, or somebody like that, uh, more so than if he won it with the Lions or the Lions won it without him? I mean, would you like to see your ex girlfriend go to somebody way better and have a like way happier life than with you? But like, see, I, I think I would, you would. That'd be I really betrayal. Think you would cheer really hard for Matt Stafford to win a Super Bowl if he went on like a Joe Flacco run. I think you would be here for it, one hundred percent. I mean, I'd be happy for him, but I would feel nothing but betrayal. Really? Like, 100% betrayal. Okay. That guy, I mean... Well, I got this I, he, he, I read this completely wrong. Yeah, I mean, he deserves it. Like, the guy's gotten just beat up and just decimated for years. This year, too? He took, like, how many seven-sack games has he had? He's He's been pulverized this year. <laughs> Some, pretty sure somebody, like, broke a record or tied a record against him. It's 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 abysmal. But, I mean, I kind of like, I kind of like what... Detroit's doing though. I mean, like the Golden Tate, the Golden Tate trade. Like, yeah, it sucks because you know Golden Tate's are what one of two best receivers. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know if that's but true you get, anymore. Seeing how he's doing in Philadelphia and Kenny Galladay, depending on how you feel about him and Marvin Jones, I don't know. I feel like it was fun. But I mean, is Carson Wentz playing as good as he had? I mean, I, I, I think that speaks more to where the Eagles are right now than yeah. Golden Tate. I mean, I he's mean, Golden out for the year now, right? Carson Wentz is done. Yeah. Like what, like fractured vertebrae or some craziness? Some but weird he medical stuff going on there, and like the Philly medical staff, like there's some just uh, there's some smoke. Philly medical staffs, like Markel Fultz and the Sixers, like there's something going on. I, I don't. They need to get their act together. The Philadelphia sports medical staff. I, there's something uh, in the water or something. I don't know. It's yeah. It's it's definitely scary. I mean, you know, like I said, Golden Golden Tate. Like you get, they weren't going to resign him. I mean, they made they made that clear by that right. trade. You get something for him, smart and like. I don't know what a like the jury's still out for Matt Patricia. Like he has he has some games where he looks awesome. He has some games where he just looks completely lost. I get a weird like. Do you ever listen to his post game conferences? Just get a weird feeling by Absolutely some of the stuff not. that he does. You don't watch it? No, I'm not okay, sitting there well, on a Sunday afternoon being like, you know what? Instead enough. of tuning into this Philadelphia Eagles, um, <clears throat> well, I guess it wasn't this week because they played the well. What time was it? A one o'clock game or a four o'clock game against the Cardinals? Uh, that was four o'clock. Yeah, so um, I wasn't uh, zoomed. I, I I was not um, paying attention to what Matt Patricia was saying. Following just the uh, the great Lions Cardinals game, I was uh, fair enough. I was tuning into other things, Ryan. I I guess well, I mean, fair enough. But I guess like as a Georgia fan, like post Mark Richt era, like Mark Richt had these like ha- had these conferences where you know, people would ask him questions and you just get this answer and you're just like, what is this guy talking about? And like Patricia will do that randomly. Like mm. somebody, somebody asked him about is the moon, moon landing real. And he just like slams his hands down and he's like, okay, so the bills, and it's just like, I don't know. It, it kind of feels a little strange to me. I, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I'm not out for him yet. Like I, I, I have, I have faith, well, but. If, well, if he's not the guy, then you have to fire Quinn. That's the thing is like, they've been buddies for years. They back to the Pat stuff. And like, if, if it doesn't work out with Patricia, you have to start over completely, and then you have to definitely probably move on from Stafford and tear it all down. But, um, but who's going to take that contract? Who is going to take it? Yeah, that's, Denver, that's a gaudy today. contract. Oh, I mean, Miami tomorrow. Good on them. 
good on them. Uh, I mean, that's just, that's a lot to invest. I mean, there are teams that will do it. I, there are some, I mean, quarterback is just too important in today's NFL. And there are some I mean, teams that are just like, I mean, John Gruden, do you really think he wouldn't offer up some stuff at this point? You know, Derek Carr is not his guy. And he's well, after he gives up Khalil Mack. Veterans. I mean, I, it would not surprise me if uh, John Gruden loved the idea of Matt Stafford because it wasn't Jameis like his favorite quarterback prospect coming out of Florida State. Like he was just enamored by Jameis. And I, I still believe that Jameis is going to be a Raider um, next year. But yeah, I don't know. I could see it. That's what uh, Quinn should do. Call uh, call up old John Gruden because um, they don't have a GM right now. So I guess you're calling a direct line to, uh, to Mr. Gruden and seeing what it would take to... Because they now have a... I think three first round picks in the 2019 draft. So you can get one. That's craziness. I will say this, the, the Arizona game, I was disappointed that Detroit went out and won that game. Like as a Detroit fan, I was, I was saddened by that. I can now officially say that Detroit's better than Atlanta, but I was still saddened by that. I'm on talk about Atlanta. I have no idea. I just thought the shot Breland pick was the saddest thing I've ever, like that was, I mean, I don't know if it's more sad than Marcus Trufant dropping 19 interceptions or Duke Crowley just being awful or Vic Beasley doing absolutely nothing while Grady Jarrett and Jack Crawford do their stuff inside and Jake Matthews and Alex Mack are having top 20 lineman season. So, like, if you go to PFF's most up-to-date <clears throat> all like offensive lineman rankings, like Alex Mack and Jake Matthews make their top 20. And it just doesn't matter. So, like, the people who jump to, like, oh, Matt Ryan doesn't has he's he needs a better offensive line and he needs that. And it's like, well, I mean, he's putting up good numbers this year. And we were just having a conversation, like, three weeks ago that he's an MVP <laughs> candidate. You can't have it both ways. Like, Matt Ryan was bad at Green Bay. He was hitting nothing downfield. He was nothing intermediate. It was all short stuff. And he's been a huge beneficiary of yards after catch. Like, Sanu, Jones, like, it, just a couple weeks ago, that's, like, all of his yards. I mean, he is... Ryan has not been bad, but at the same time to not kind of put like the shit that Kirk Cousins is getting right now and Matt Ryan going off scot-free kind of irks me because I don't understand how that works because the Minnesota Vikings have the 30th best offensive line in football and they have Riley Reef, a guy you're very familiar with um, yep. as their starting left tackle. Never good. Like Kirk Cousins has no running game, no time, no anything. Like I God, just, that sounds really familiar. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's Sounds almost like Matt like, Stafford's entire career. Yeah, it's almost like there are other variables you have to consider. But for whatever reason, there are some quarterbacks that get a pass and some that people just get really lazy and are just like, oh, he's this. Oh, Cam Newton's been bad the last couple weeks. It, he must just be bad now. Or he can't literally throw downfield, so they're th- putting in another quarterback because Cam's shoulder is that messed up. He's playing I mean, I mean, you know how I feel about Matt Ryan. Like, he's not the guy. I mean, it's he's just the guy. To I mean, he has to I don't be even know because he's the guy, but he can be better. And that's what I whole thing is like. You have to at least call him out when he has been bad. And he's been bad the last couple of weeks, especially. I, I just don't, I just don't understand how that offense just not is, is just not annihilating people left and right. I just don't get it. It, it just blows my mind. Like it's, coming into this year, they have the best I, receiving trio in football. Like there's not a better that they, they're better two team groups like Thielen Diggs, but like Ridley Sanu. And Julio Jones is just too much talent to be doing what they're doing. I agree. When they when they drafted Ridley, I I was having nightmares about having to deal with Atlanta fans. Like I one hundred percent was just like their their offense cannot get any more disgusting. It's absurd, and it, it's just it's mind blowing that it's struggling this bad. And where do you put the blame? 
It's got to be. Uh, well, Dan Quinn front is and another bad defense. So I'm not really certain what the point of Dan Quinn is. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm whatever. I'm, I don't want to talk I'm, about I'm the Falcons never anymore. I'm so annoyed by all of this. <laughs> Their season's over. They don't matter. Your team season over. But you know what is interesting? It's college football right now because the Auburn Absolutely. Tigers hired a 28-year-old as their offensive coordinator. No, we're not talking about Charlie Wise Jr. No. This is his actual name. Kenny Dillingham, who I'm already annoyed at his last name because the dilly dilly stuff that it's going to follow this hire for a year. Oh my God. Be very frustrating. Very I didn't annoying. even think about that. Um, that was the first thing I thought of. Like, oh, no. But, but I mean, I that's love that hire, though. That's Out of all the coaching hires that I've seen so far, that's my favorite hire. Period. Like, plain Why? and simple. Because it puts Gus Malzahn in the driver's seat. And we had this conversation. Driver's like, seat in what way? What do you mean? He's going to be, he's calling the offense now. He is still like, calling the offense, yeah. Right. And that's what we had this conversation about not too long ago, where, you know, as a Georgia fan, I, I hate Auburn, right? We know this, but like, mm-hmm. I can appreciate what they are. And it's not what they've been doing this past year. And it's, it's miserable to watch. I hate it. I can still watch an Auburn game and appreciate it, but this has been, it's been terrible. And it's, it's because Gus Malzahn is not being Gus Malzahn. And now you're going to have an offensive coordinator. Who's going to develop? That's his only job is to help develop, and then you put you put the the ball in Gus Malzahn's hands, and now you go back to this crazy offense that leaves his defense out the dry constantly. But you're in more games that way, I think personally. I mean, I think so, I think you put Gus Malzahn, you you sign him to an extension, you put the ball in his hands, and if they fail next year, you know where the issue is, right? I mean, I think ultimately he's betting on himself because he's taking less money now to stay as head coach because they were going to buy him out. I think that was part of it too, depending on what That's the so crazy. <clears throat> they were moving on. I never bought the Bob Stoop stuff, but there were other guys. Like if they could have gotten Matt Campbell, that would have been a huge home run, but it seems like he's going to be at Iowa State for the long haul now. And I mean, Auburn's kind of like that was my whole hesitation with firing Gus Malzahn to begin with. I'm like, unless you are sure you can get someone big like a Bob Stoops or somebody like that. I just wouldn't do it, and I would just revamp the coaching staff. Like Chip Lindsey's got to go. That just it, that ship has sailed. But like, if Gus Malzahn's going to call the plays, why do you want to? Why would this kid leave Mike Norvell's electric offense at Memphis? And then you get to the bottom of it. And it's like Mike Norvell and Gus Malzahn are very close, and they've right. been close for a long time. And guess what? Dilly, Dilly, Dilly. He came from high school. <laughs> like he was coaching at 21 years old. Yeah, and, he got hurt. Yeah, I read about him. He got hurt. And was forced into coaching because he got injured. And it, right. It, so he's like a little prodigy who's not even going to have the reins. And he's going into a season as a lame duck offensive coordinator. Because ultimately, if Auburn doesn't win like 10 games next year, Gus Malzahn's gone. Like that's the whole thing. Is like Gus Malzahn yeah. taking the reins of the offense. He is saying, I can fix this myself. And they're like, okay, we're also not going to allow you to offer Hugh Freeze a multi-year contract. Like, that's a thing that happened. Like, they were not even allowing him to, like, hire the OCs he wanted to hire. So they had to settle for an OC that would take the kind of deal that a 28-year-old would take. So none of this is healthy. Like, the booster stuff with Gus Malzahn is not healthy. I mean, the only thing that's healthy is Kevin Steele is still a big defensive coordinator. I'm surprised he's not asking out at this point. Just being like, I need to get out of this sick gig ship. But no, I think it ends in disaster. Because guess what? They also didn't get Kelly Bryant. And it's hard to get a transfer coordinator that. and you don't have an offensive coordinator in place as, as soon as he transferred missouri i instantly thought about you it's I a dumpster fire man i don't know what they're planning on jalen hurts like what does this even like what does this lead to because there is no way 
Gus Belzot is going into next year starting either Bo Nix, true freshman, the number one dual threat quarterback, but he's still only a four-star, or somebody on the roster right now, Sandberg, whoever. Like, it's just, it's not realistic. So I don't know who, I have no idea who their quarterback's going to be next year. I, I, I like the hire. I, I really do. I think I think it, it, it puts Gus Malzahn in this place that he needs to be, and it, and it puts the fire under him. And if he's not the man, he's not the man. But this this next year is going to answer that. And I, I hate, again, I hate Auburn. I dislike Gus Malzahn. But he is what he is, and you can't prepare for Gus Malzahn. Like you can, you can prepare, but he's just a wrinkle after wrinkle after wrinkle after wrinkle at you. And I hated, I hated, you know, when Georgia played him because there was just the craziest stuff coming out. It was just there, like what when Auburn beat Georgia at Auburn, there was just plays that were coming out that I've never seen before. I thought you were going to say when Auburn beat Georgia in the first quarter of this year's game because that did happen. If you forgot, it did, it did, mm-hmm. it did. They, they, how many, how many points did they scored? In the fourth, the first quarter, they haven't scored outside of the first quarter. Yes, and it was ten right? points in the first quarter of that game. I think it was yeah, like ten to seven at the end of the first. It game. was, it was. Um, uh, but the biggest thing for me with this hire is the only way this saves Gus Malzahn's job is if Dillingham can bring the magic that he. I, I just don't know how much he was to how much he involved he was with Daryl Henderson averaging ten yards to carry this season. Like he was, if he was he all development. That, say it again. He's all development. He's all player relationship and development. Like tight end, well, quarterback. Because Auburn couldn't run the football this year. And right. If he can get somebody like Daryl Henderson was the best running back in college football this year, and that was yeah. it. so. If he's like someone who can bring that to Auburn, because since Carryon Johnson's been gone, like Cam Martin, everybody else those aren't the answer. So if that's the case, then this works, and this is a great hire. But if that's, that's not the case, then it's over for Gus. Uh, I'm hopeful. I I, I want to see Auburn get back to playing Auburn and having uh, the Georgia-Auburn game actually being entertaining. Uh, that'd be good. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's a good hire. I'm actually – I was actually excited. When I read about him, I was actually really excited about him. I mean, that's exactly what I think Gus Malzahn needs. He needs that guy that's going to help him develop a quarterback, develop your tight ends, develop your offense, and just leave the rest to Gus Malzahn. He's a great recruiter too. Like I read that. He's a fantastic recruiter. Yeah. Just, but I mean, that's I never been an issue for Gus and Auburn. Like we're going top ten the, in the recruiting rankings every year. He's there. I don't know if that necessarily matters, but um, I don't know. I mean, Whatever, we'll see. I don't think I don't have high expectations at this point. I think this ends like in disaster next year. But right. So, but what do you think see. about the hire? You never say anything about the hire. Like, what do you think? Like, is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it just? I think it's bad. It, it yeah, signals okay. to me that Gus is still controlling everything, and there were a lot of higher end coordinators that were like. We know where this is going, and we know, why would we take this job? Because Gus is going to have his fingerprints all over this, and he's betting on himself. And it just seems like these stories never end well. So the yeah. second that it it came out that like no matter who Gus hired, um, he was going to be calling the plays. It's like I don't. It's hard to get excited at that point. Like the best case scenario is he develops someone into like a Daryl Henderson type. Like if that's the case, then great. But I I have my doubts, and um, I can just count on twenty twenty Lane Kiffin. Holy God! Butch Davis, I like the risk you got like ten and two with FIU this year. Talk me into that. Who knows? Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know who you get. That, that's, Ryan Day. That's scary. Let's pull him out of Ohio State if things. Don't Why not? Happen. Yeah. Why not? Chip Kelly, you having fun at UCLA? Come to Auburn. There's no way. There's no way he's leaving that to go to Auburn. No, there's not. Um, You're gonna go somewhere that's Mario already Christo difficult. Ball leaving. I don't see him in Oregon for the long haul. I could be wrong. 
but Oregon's recruiting mostly out of the South, so maybe that would be the thing. I, I, I don't see. I don't see him leaving that leaving Oregon. I mean, okay, that's a dream job, right? Like, not for him. I don't. I I I I I think he stays. I think okay. that's about unless he gets legitimately like a top five, a top five school. I don't think he's gonna leave. And I don't think Auburn is that. I think Auburn's a top ten job. It's not a top five job. Maybe in basketball. No. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, you know what I do? We can both appreciate Mark Rick losing the only guy that was keeping his job in Miami. Manny Diaz many... uh, is in Temple now. He is a new Temple coach. As he, you know, the Temple is like the launching pad now for a group of yep. five coaches. <laughs> Al yep. Golden, uh, Jeff Collins, all these guys. Like, it just seems like Temple is just this. Stepping yeah. And they've accepted it, though. So it's always good to know who you are. And Tipple knows who they are now. And it's going to be probably pretty good for Manny Diaz, and he'll find his way back to a big job in five years and be like, oh, yeah, remember him? He was the guy that uh, kept Mark Rick looking pretty good um, those years when the offense was absolute dog shit and uh, the Miami defense was top 10 every year. And, yeah, only reason and turnover chains. Yeah. How do you forget? This is a dumpster fire. I saw the first report of like who the possible replacement for him. It's like Tommy Tuberville. What? Yikes. What? Yikes. Yeah, that's terrifying. I mean, look at look at what happened. I mean, what, four crews have already decommitted? Yeah. This is bad. Today? Like, this is an under-talked-about story, I think. I think this is really bad for Mark Rick in Miami. Right. The day that he is announced, there's four people that decommitted. That's insane. I I, I don't know. Like, I like Mark really Rick. Good. He's really yeah. valuable. Yes. I don't, I, but I, I just, I don't... For whatever reason, I just can't get excited about defensive coordinators as head coaches. Like it's, it, he's going to be a great coach. There's no denying he already is a great coach. But I just like I see that, and I just like, I can't get excited. Like I get excited for whatever reason. Maybe it's just like some weird bias, but you get excited when you see these offensive minds get hired. I, and for whatever reason, like I see him getting hired, and it's just kind of like that he's literally just using this to catapult himself somewhere else. And it is what it is. But it's just hard to get excited about that. I don't know. That's just me. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited for Manny Diaz to get his opportunity because I've been waiting for LSU's defensive coordinator. I always forget his name. Um, what is his name? The highest paid defensive should... coordinator in college football. I always want to say Armada. Dave Aranda. Ari- Ari- oh, yeah, Aranda. Yeah, Dave yeah. Aranda. Um, he hasn't taken another job yet, and I would love to see what happens to Ed Orgeron if he loses him because we know what that offense was with uh, the – guy who's been on that staff for like 65 years and speaks on occasion at this point but like um he loses that guy it's over like it was already pretty deflating way to end their year um for lsu but uh he loses dave aranda that's it's just interesting but that's my whole thing that if you're a fan of your team like brian ketley has lost like 19 coordinators over the last four years and it doesn't matter he's he just went 12 and 0 like that's how you know you have a really good coach like the Clay Helton stuff at USC. Cliff Kingsbury, home run higher. Like he's going to be great for JT Daniels. Yep. It's going to be fine. However, the fact that you had to bring in another offensive guy who's going to run a completely different offensive scheme than what Clay Helton was doing. What is the point of Clay Helton? Just as like a statue figure, like the Herm Edwards stuff where it's like, we actually don't want you to be charged in, of anything because you're not actually good at anything. Like he seems like a really nice guy and all that kind of stuff and that matters, but whatever. I just am always terrified if, I'm a fan of a team where like the, the coordinator is the best coach because ultimately that coordinator is going to get cherry picked from someone else. 
and then you're left with the guy who is not as good and then it, the blemishes start to show and everything crumbles and they blow it up like that's what's happening when kyle shanahan left atlanta and you're seeing like dan quinn you're like what is the point when the defense isn't good he's a defensive-minded guy why do we have this guy um i think ultimately this is a huge issue because miami their offense sucks and Mark Rick was calling plays down the stretch, and it doesn't matter. Um, I'm still pretty shaky on their quarterback situation. They lost Mr. Allison, who will be starting for West Virginia next year, and that's probably going to just drive Miami fans crazy when he goes like 10 and 2 with Dana Holgerson and just slings them Holgerson, all over the place. Man. Yeah. Like, I, I think Miami's just, it's, it's about to get really bad. I think he's about to get fired. This might be it. Butch Davis, I just realized it. He's going back to Miami. This is where this There's ends. Been- Butch Davis is back at 79 years old. He'll be There's back no way. running Miami. But, but, That's a slam I mean, back hire, actually. He's, he's revitalizing uh, his career at FIU. He's already familiar with the area. They're not that far apart campus-wise. Let's just do it. Fire Mark Rick today. How how Davis. depressing Let's is go. that for Mark Rick, though? Like, how much does that say about, like, George's recruit carrying him? <laughs> Fair. He brought I mean, in Grayson Lambert and was like, you know what we should do? Let's get Grayson Lambert out there. The pinnacle of Georgia's football in the past twenty years. Remember right he went twenty two of twenty two and people were like, see, he's good. Yeah. That was yeah. the worst day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and believe me, it was up there for me. Like when you when you realize your your sub maybe mediocre quarterback breaks a record and people are all of a sudden just like this guy is the man. It's- you were wrong, man. Grayson Lambert's right. I I'm just saying numbers don't lie. Perfect. I'm like, I, I just, I'm going to jump out a window. I can't do this anymore. At least Joe Tereshinsky and like Joe Cox, people were like, Joe Cox, no. man. Yeah. They were like, they're not good. They're okay with it. They're like, they're not good, but Georgia's system is fine and they'll win 10 games, whatever. But like people were trying to make the Grayson Lambert's actually okay thing. And I, I just, I do not miss those days at all. What, what is dark it, times? Like, what does that say too? Like Mark Ricks at Georgia and how long did they not have a great quarterback? Like, a very long like, time. You you can literally say Joe Tereshinsky. You can literally say Joe Cox. I was going to say, what is Lambert. the gap between DJ Shockley and Aaron Murray? Well, you had Matt Stafford in there. I was going to say, if you were going to catch me there. I was going to No, he was so <laughs> uh, don't, don't get me started. And, and, and then you go, and then you get back to Mark Rick, just like completely wasting Matt Stafford, completely wasting A.J. Green. Like, that's depressing. I mean, you had Matt Stafford, no Sean Marino, and A.J. Green on the same team. How do you not win a national championship there? That's, That's insane. Insane. But, you know, I, I think it just speaks. Like, Mark Rick, it just shows that he's a good guy. He's and, and he's a pretty good coach. But I hate that argument, though. It's like there's a is. lot of, like, who can, like, But he sure, just has, whatever. he has no fire, though. And this, like, goes back to, like, what I was saying about Patricia. Like, there was this, there was this interview with, with Mark Rick where people were like, you're not showing any emotion. Like, you get on the sideline. Uh, you know, there's a pick six for a touchdown, and you you look the same as if, you know, your team just threw an 80 yard bomb to win a game. Like you look the exact same. And he's like, well, yeah, that's something I got to change. And the next day, you know, the next game, there's a holding call, and the dude's throwing his he's throwing his headset across the field, going berserk on a holding penalty. And you're just like, what is this guy doing? Like, what is this? And I just I I. I and I, I do like Marcus. I respect him as a guy. He's like a super nice guy. He goes out of his way to help people. He's got all these awesome charities when he was in Athens. He was doing all these like great things for people. But at the end of the day, like he just, he didn't have that fire. He just didn't have, I, I guess the passion. I don't know. It was just like something was missing. And, and he was such a beaten down coach that he just yeah. had like no pride left. And it was just kind of like, eh, 
Well, it is what when it you is, hire you know? Brian Schottenheimer and you just churn out bad offenses after bad offenses over a couple weeks. He also hired William Martinez. Who could forget right. that that run? Like right. he's just a bad court. Like he makes bad coordinator choices. I think that might be <laughs> his downfall because he's a good recruiter, good guy, like okay game manager. Like if he had just learned how to hire the right uh, offensive and defensive coordinator, he got it half right at Miami. Manny Diaz, home run defensive yeah, coordinator hire. Absolutely. Thomas Brown, not a home run offensive coordinator hire, uh, Mr. Richt. Like, if he had gotten Charlie Weiss Jr. or, like, even Dillingham, the 28-year-old sensation, brought him in. If he had made a better off, Yeah, if he had done that, he would have a job next year. But I think this is it. I think this is it. It's going to be a really bad year in Miami. I just... It's a sad day when you miss Mike Bobo. I'll tell you that. I mean, when that bad year, that was one of my first thoughts when I was like, oh, Colorado, three and nine? Might fire oh. uh, Mr. Bobo and get the gang back together. Oh. Down in Miami, Mike Bobo and Mark Richt together again. Good. On Good the retirement God. tour. I just, I, I, like, Mike Bobo, like, drove me up the wall. You, like, it was disgusting that I could sit there and watch a game and know the play that was coming. It was just, it was, it was depressing. Like, you just mm-hmm. knew a draw's coming. You, it was just, it was. You go back to like Mark Richt in his first like four years, and they were calling plays that were just insane. Like they were calling the craziest plays that I've ever seen. Like you get a quarterback that's doing a play action fake where he completely turns his back to the offensive line and walks two yards away with the ball on his hip, and then just turns around and bombs at eighty yards. Like what quarterback in their right mind wants to do that, right? Like yeah. leave. Like you're just asking to just end your career, and that's the kind of stuff that Mark Richt was doing. And then there's just some point where he's just. He just gave up, and it's just it's it's kind of depressing because his first his first you know two or three years the great motivator, you know what we go to Arizona State with Stafford or Arizona and we beat them. It's like the motivator can't lose on the road, and then it just went all downhill. That stuff fades. Ah, it's depressing. But Mel Tucker, he got a new job. He got he finally got his opportunity. He's coaching Colorado. I love it. I hate it, and I love it. Do you think uh, so? Why do you hate it, and why do you love it? Well, how do you replace Mel Tucker, right? Like, I mean, that's that's a tough replacement, right? Like, when you got Kirby Smart, and, you know, I'm sure he was pulling a lot of strings, but, I mean, Mel Tucker was awesome. He was great. And so, like, I hate it in the fact that, like, you ha- you now have to turn around and replace him. But, you know, Georgia's got the money to where they can, which is good. But, like, it's just, it's, I hate it for that reason. And Man, I love it because he's getting available, a shot. Just as an FYI. No. Was, no. There's <laughs> no way. There's no way. I would lose my mind. I would William instantly Martinez, be. He can't sell the job, right? Right. I would. I would instantly be on Facebook. I'd, I'd reactivate my Facebook account to start a fire. Kirby you know Smart. What I would, you know, what would be dope is if they like stole Dave Aranda from LSU. Like they just, just like, like they just kind <laughs> of like double his DC salary in Athens. That would be fantastic. In order on like as a way of like spiting them for beating Georgia this year and keeping them out of the playoff. God Almighty, that'd be a power What's move. A- well, that's what I was reading is they're, they're talking about his assistant who's getting like 350 grand there a year. Mm-hmm. Um, who's, who's another one of those like young talented coaches that's like a prodigy. And they're just like, you know, Georgia's going to go from paying somebody 1.5 million, you know, Mel Tucker, 1.5 million. And you can turn around and, you know, Hey, how about a $500,000 raise? And now you just, you're paying them 850 grand and you're saving, you know, three quarters of a million. Like that's, I like it. I hate it. I like it because he's getting a shot. I mean, he deserves it. He's a great coach. He's got great. He's got a great history outside of Chicago. But you know, I, I it's it's kind of upsetting that we're going to have to replace him somehow. 
but on that that's note, not my, that's not my worry. If I'm a Georgia fan, I mean, the recruiting have you seen their schedule? Because... Have you seen Colorado's schedule? Oh, you mean I thought you meant Georgia's schedule. Oh no, like, are we doing this again? Okay, um, no, <laughs> I have not. It is insane. Like looking at this, this guy. If, if Mel Tucker wins four games next year he won that season no he should like, like it, my whole thing and that was my first thought with mel tucker is that he he should keep the co-ocs that they've have in place there like i wouldn't adjust their offense at all because steven montez lavishka chanel all those guys colorado's offense was not the problem mac mcintyre was a defensive minded coach in that defense right right they're, do they're, that, and then they're, you can win four you can win with steven montez like the highest completion percentage in college football for most of the year like he had a really solid year so I don't think yeah. four and eight out of the question for Colorado. They play, dude. Their 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 schedule's insane. It literally is just littered with just ass beatings. Uh, I can tell you. I know they play Utah. They play Arizona. They play Arizona State. They play UCLA. They play uh, USC. They play Washington. Washington State. Oregon. Uh, they play Colorado State first game. Get a little little action with Mike Bobo there. Um, yeah, that's what I can remember. That, and, Nebraska. And okay, so they opened Nebraska. with Colorado State. Let's say that's a win. I would give them a win there. One and zero. Nebraska probably one and zero against Mike Bobo. Yeah, probably loses to Nebraska. One and one. Uh, Air Force. It's a win. Two and one at Arizona State. I'm going to go Arizona State. Well, they're replacing Manny Wilkins, so that I don't know. Uh, I'll give them a win there. Arizona State. Still not a believer there. Three and one. Arizona at home. I like them there. Four and one at Oregon. Lost. Four and two at Washington State. Lost. Four and three. USC at home. Ooh, I'm going to say that's a loss. Four and four. At UCLA, that's a loss. Four and five. Stanford, their homecoming. I'm going to take Stanford. Four and six. Washington. Ooh. Uh, yeah, that's seven. what I'm saying. And then at Utah. Right. Yeah, yeah four and eight. But that's that's the, actually he's probably walking, exactly what they're going to be. Yeah. He is walking into a blender, which which sucks. Because, like, I mean, for all the Pac-12 is, they made. Blender sucks. Never seen he's it. absolutely yeah. walking into a blender. He's 100% doing that. I mean, at best case scenario, you go absolute best. Like, you beat people that you shouldn't. You go six and six. You go to a bowl game, right? Worst case scenario, you win two games, and, like, middle of the road is four and eight. And, like, that's that's just got to be demoralizing. But, I mean, it's Colorado. Like, you know, they got a history. You go, Who you get some recruiting. Brown running back days when they uh right. Nebraska, like, 73 to 20. I remember where I was <laughs> at that game. Is that not crazy? Was that a Joel Klatt game? Was he the quarterback? I, like, like Colorado's one of those teams. It's like Iowa State for me. Like you don't really pay attention to them, but once but a then year, when they get a Seneca you, Wallace or Lavishka Chenault. You're like, oh, I got to tune in. They have somebody. Well, then you, you you look once a year and they beat somebody. They just beat like you know Iowa State like goes and beats like Ohio State or like they beat Oklahoma. Oklahoma. It's just somebody, just yeah. something crazy happens. Like Colorado is one of those teams. Like like uh, Minnesota like five ten years ago was that team that it was just like randomly beat somebody they have no business beating and like Colorado's that team too but if he can if Mel Tucker can get into you know Southern California if he can get into Texas and he's a good recruiter if they can get some recruits that they're gonna be good but it's just how long does he have is my question because the Pac-12 for for what they are they've made good coaching hires yeah and it's only gonna get tougher is he in the you know, south start, or the north South. South. Okay. Well, that's good because the North is North is stacked with Oregon, Stanford, Washington, Washington yep. State. Like that, it's good that he's in the South. What, at what point do you do like conference realignments? Because that's 
Like I hate that. I, mean, like, I that hate U- the, that Utah Washington game was was a tough watch. Right. Like, like the, even what uh, with Ohio State, like the, the the conference is like so heavily like I guess even in like the SEC, like it's so heavily one sided that it's just like the teams just beat each other up, and then you get like a, 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 a like you know hopefully one good team from one conference and one good team from the other one, but it, it's just like that conference when I looked at it was just so stacked that it was just like, I don't know. I like that he got hired, but I just he's he's got it tough. He's got it tough. Right. It's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, but I think it's a good hire for them, and it's the job that Mel Tucker should have waited for and taken. So I will be rooting for him, and it, I like when Colorado's good. So that would be cool. And Mike McIntyre got another job right away. DC at Old Miss. Just he's getting poor two guy. checks, by the way. Hustling That's insane. Forward. Yeah, Mike McIntyre. Keep getting them like, checks. The coaches, coaches, coaches' contracts are insane. They're literally like just getting money. These hand extensions over are insane. I just don't understand yeah. the point of these programs and these insane buyouts. I, I don't understand why yeah. these programs are just killing themselves over this kind of stuff. It doesn't make and these, sense to me. And the coaches are just like, yeah, fire me, get another job. They're just making, you know, instead of making, you know, three million, five million a year, they're just making like twelve million a year. Just it's yeah. insane. It's craziness, but you know, good on him. I, you know, I'm happy for him. I hope he does good. I just know it's going to be tough. Um, and I'd like to see Colorado good again. Like it's a kind of one of those things. Like you look at it in history, we come in the past, and they're just they were good champions. Yeah, I mean they've had good teams, and you know even Kirk Herbstreit said it. Like you know he you, you, you know I read an article that he that uh, was put out on what he said, and it was just you know he misses the days when Colorado was good when he was in high school and seeing the, these you know these great teams that they're putting out and it's just been you know this slow decline and it's just they need to be good and they what happens if he loses to Mike Bobo first game i think he's good god year 1 doesn't matter oh yeah like people oh, yeah. called it year 0 when he started at minnesota and I like that because ultimately coaches are just throwing shit at the wall. Like Scott Frost right. going like whatever it was, like four and seven this year because they missed a game or whatever. Like it doesn't matter. Adrian Merchant right. is when he's in the court. Like it's just, it's fine. Like coaches are experimenting. You're, this first year does not matter. Kirby Smart went like what, seven and five his first year? Right. I want to say. But how, like much, it just, how, how much time do you really give? Like how, many, how much time do coaches years, really minimum. give? I think coaches deserve a minimum of three years. Like get a full. Even that, classic. like that's short. I mean, I I, that's, that's what I'm saying short. the minimum is three. Right. Like, they don't have a full cycle of, like, you got to give them a full cycle, I think. Like, you, you give somebody three years, and it's like, yeah, they're playing half their it team, half the somebody else's team. more than anything. Like, yeah. you give someone at Kansas State, like, the new hire there, you give him 25 and see what happens. And then you have, like, USC where Jeez. you can get a good coach and you should be good because of where you recruit and everything else. And, like, right. yeah, you deserve a shorter lease there. I it be, just depends gotta, on the program. They have to give Mel Tucker like they got to give him years. time, like four or five, yeah. at least five years. I mean, got the guy's got to reopen these pipelines and the recruiting in places that they've lost, like one hundred percent have lost. Yeah. So it's just they got to give him time. But did you see they? Did you read where they they gave him like an illegal contract? They gave him like six years, and they could only give him five, and they had to go Where's reamend it. Yeah, uh, apparently in like Colorado, government officials can only have five year contracts, and they gave him a six year contract. Oh. And they had to go like reamend it and. This is a pretty funny read. How did they Colorado know starting out strong? Wow. I don't know. Um, last thing, and then we'll go. Um, college football playoff. I have my picks. How do you see it playing out? Uh, uh, Oklahoma's going to get smashed, I think, personally. Okay. Um, and then Clemson's going to smash Notre Dame. I think it's going to be a boring playoff. Uh, and then 
I'm not there. I've talked myself into Oklahoma. I think they're beating Alabama because I, I still don't believe Tua is going to be ready. Like that high uh, ankle sprain is a real thing and it takes at least a month to heal. I don't think he's going to play the whole game. And if you're telling me or you're asking me to believe that Jalen Hurts can keep up with Kyler Murray for a full game, I just, I have my doubts. Well, the good news is, and you know, the downfall of Georgia the past two years is who do you prepare for? You know, like yeah. I was talking to one of my buddies who makes all his, like he makes all his bets on sports and you know, uh, before the Auburn game, I was joking around and I was like, there's got to be a prop bet somewhere for Tua getting hurt. Now, the guy was banged up. I knew, I told him in the Georgia game, I was like, Tua's getting hurt. Like, he's had too many people flying at him. He's ta- he's holding on to the ball too long. He's just getting smashed. I was like, that guy's knee has been messed up. He's getting hurt. And then it happened, and you're just like, God. As soon as it happened, you're like, God, they didn't prepare for Jalen Hurts. And it was just a nightmare. But uh, Good story, though. I don't, I just, yeah, I know. This, that was depressing. But I don't, I don't know. I just don't know if Oklahoma is going to be able to stop Alabama, regardless of who's the quarterback. I just don't see it. It's just just a God awful defense. And I just, I think like if, if Alabama gets like three stops, they're going to win that game. And I think that's likely. I, but you know, I'm hoping, I'm hoping there's another game like last year where, you know, it's, it's just an instant classic. It goes down to the wire, triple overtime, just crazy game. And I yeah, hope it's right. We're not I hope, getting I hope it with Clemson Notre Dame. Like our only hope of a, an interesting playoff is Oklahoma and Alabama. I, I honestly, I honestly just for whatever reason, I think Clemson's going to win that game. But I think like, this is that moment where like nobody's giving Notre Dame a chance, like zero chance. I don't think there's a single person in the right mind that would pick Notre Dame to win this game. And I think like Notre Dame's going to make this a better game than it probably should be. But See, I still I think Clemson's going to win it. But then they just blew the doors off Pitt. Like Trevor Lawrence is that good. And I just feel like Clemson's the best team in the country this year. And I felt that way for weeks now. And I mean, they're my champion pick right now. And I'm not wavering. I love their running game. Like Alabama can't run the football. That's still a problem for them, uh, which is still really weird based on how good their offensive line is. Quentin Williams and everybody on defense is scary and all, but like mm, a shaky Tua with his health plus no running game. I, I just... I, I don't think Alabama is beating both teams in the playoff. I don't think they're beating Oklahoma and Clemson. I That just is too much for me. That's too much to beat Georgia, Oklahoma, and then Clemson. I think that's too difficult. I think Clemson makes right. sense. Yeah. That's, that's insane. Year in, year out. That's what the SEC is going to have to that's do. That's Nick Saban's literally... best coaching job, by the way, right? If he beats Georgia, Oklahoma, and Clemson three straight times. Like yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's almost impossible. That's like got to be one of the best like three-game stretches, period, ever. Exactly. Yeah, so I just I have my doubts, but Nick Saban's the best coach in comfortable history, so maybe he can do it. But I just I don't think so. I think it's Clemson's nope. year, and we'll see. Who do you um, pick if Ohio State and Notre Dame go, or Oklahoma State and Notre Dame go? Wait, say it again. Oklahoma and Notre Dame go to the national championship. Who are you picking, Oklahoma? Oh, Oklahoma by yeah. Let's say Ian like Book all hell breaks loose. Not beating Clemson and <laughs> Oklahoma back to back. No, Ian Book is fine. Like he's Tommy Reese two point but. I, I think they're a great story. Notre Dame deserves a lot of props for going 12-0 and and everything. Brian Kelly, coach of the year, 12-0. and He went 4-8 and just a couple years ago, lost coordinators. Doesn't matter. He uh, had a quarterback change mid-season. No. Shout out to them. Great year, but no. Can't do it. It's going to happen. Watch it happen. It, it Kyler would be great. I would love Kyler Murray because he's only lost one game as a quarterback in his, career, in his entire career. You knew that? He lost one no, game in, in high school. And it was like his sophomore year, um, and then Wait, one lost in Texas? college. Yeah, okay, no, I'm saying like, like one I'm each. Losing my mind. Oh, okay, yeah, no, yeah. No, 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 one each. 
don't know. I, I hope it's a good one. I'm just kind of like worried about this. Like with Notre Dame is just not going to show up, and it's just going to be a gimme for Clemson. And then for whatever reason, I just had my doubts about Oklahoma and Alabama. Just going to beat them, and it was just kind of like, eh, this is our playoffs. We got it's just like, bleh. and it's kind of depressing. But you know, I hope it's a good game. I hope Oklahoma, you know, takes it down the wire. I hope Notre Dame is like super inspired because they're the underdog and Rudy comes out and they just whoop everybody. It'd be awesome. Yeah. Don't think any of that's happening, but Ryan, I really do appreciate you taking the time, sir. Um, get a Twitter account and I can tell people to follow you and all that good stuff. So Ryan, I will talk to you soon, buddy. Thank you so much. Hey man, I appreciate it. All right, we are back on the Chase Thomas podcast, and I am now joined by longtime friend of the pod, RBR Wrestling's William R. Washington. William, good evening. How are you, sir? I am great. It's always good to be here on the Chase Thomas podcast. That is right, and it's always good to have you here, man. And it's good things going on. You've got your Christmas shopping done, um, I think, right? No, uh, barely. It- I got some of it done. I was just telling you before mm. we started. Yeah, I got a little bit of it done. But uh, I was trying to help you out, like to, if your wife listens to this, she's like, "Really? Will just ahead of the game?" Oh no, no. Th- that's the thing. She's like way more stressed about it. We got two kids, and uh, they are. I, I'd say the cool thing is that there's been like an Amazon package showing up every day from like various family members, and we're almost at the point of where there might be enough of those to put under the tree, and maybe we get to buy like two things, and we're good. Okay. There you go. Is that how most people get Christmas gifts nowadays for their kids is Amazon purchases? So they just have to like make sure they're home before the kids get home or anything like that to like, I I don't know how that works. It seems like a kind of stressful thing. Is that just how my son didn't even think about it? He's four. And so he hasn't put together that like gifts come from Amazon, but like he literally, (laughs) um, he came and brought me a package and was like, here, dad, it's from Amazon. I'm like, all right, no idea, not a clue. And just went on about his business. Didn't even bother to ask what was in it. And sure enough, I went and checked it. It was a gift for him from his uncle. So, and it was a oh, WWE wow. shirt, actually. Okay. Uh, so, uh, I guess uh, it just says future WWE superstar or something. Hmm. Um, Would you be okay with your son becoming a wrestler? Because your cousin is a wrestler. Yes, he is. Uh, my cousin Shane Strickland is uh, quite a big indie star at the moment. But yeah, um, uh, would I be okay with it? I don't know. We'll see. I don't. My son's such a softy that I think it's all in his head that he would ever do any physical harm to himself. <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see. But right now, it's like his favorite thing. And he beats up pillows. So who knows? Maybe. I mean, the health benefits alone aren't yeah. for me to want to go into professional <laughs> wrestling, right? Yeah, exactly. Got to yeah. build that, that callus from bumps. Mm-hmm. And that great medical insurance and uh, the independent contracting. Who could ever want to turn that away it's a great life on the road 300 days a year who could say no hey you can give me free tickets i don't care yeah no, all t- right well we're gonna talk about a couple of different things i know you hosted rbr last night so we're not gonna get too granular and into the weeds here on a lot of raw and smackdown and i just i i don't even there's a little bit of raw i want to touch on but i really just I hate talking about Raw with a passion. I hate even watching it. Um, it's so bad. Watch it live. There are people that watch it live. There are millions of people that mm-hmm. watch that program live. And I want to get every single one on the podcast one at a time and kind of just figure this out. Because what went wrong 
in your life where you're like, you know what? I'm committed. This is still happening. I it mean, might get better. Here's the thing. I still watch it every week. Uh, live. I have to watch it live. Do you? Uh, yep. That's the only way I watch it is live. Because I know that... Here's the thing. If I don't watch it when it's on, um, there's no way I'm going to commit any other time in my life to watching it. And so it's like I have to just throw it on on a Monday. And the thing is, like this past Monday, there was a Nuggets game. Uh, they played... Who the who did they play? Um, the, I am blanking. This uh, past Monday? Yeah. Who did they play this past Monday? That feels like forever ago. It's Thursday, Will. Yeah, I know. <laughs> was it when? Was this before or after um, Jamal Murray got hurt? Um, this was when. Hold on. This was he played th- this past Monday was Memphis. Um, okay. Yeah, and so that was on at the same time as Raw. So it's one of those things where like. Commercial breaks, I'd flip to Raw, see what's going on, flip back. It's about the best I can give you, Monday Night Raw. It's just, so I like watching stuff in the morning. I don't like getting up and going straight to work. That drives me nuts. Right. I like having some sort of time to, like, decompress. Like, I think Maxwell does this, too, where he watches wrestling before he goes to work or sports or whatever. And that's what I like doing is... Ah, you guys don't work 6 to 2.30, so... No, no, that's (laughs) true. You can't, like... I mean, I guess you could get up at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning and uh, watch some Monday Night Raw. I mean, it would have only been over for a couple hours at that point. But maybe that's your new thing. Yeah, no, I'm not doing that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Okay, well, we'll take that out. Um, Yeah, 6 is a little bit more difficult. But you could just watch it when you get home in the afternoon before the kids get in. You could do that. You could Hulu it in an hour and a half. Yeah, no. Like I said, I'll just... I watch it while it's on, and if I missed anything, I'll just quickly turn to some results, see what I missed. Uh, and it's like, is that worth going back and watching? If so, I will. If not, and it, there hasn't been a whole lot lately. It's been really bad. And um, it's been really bad in the sense that like nothing is happening. Um, like, it, it's, it's almost, it's completely unremarkable. And I think that's the problem with the show right now is that uh, it'd be one thing if things were just like so bad that it's hilarious to like laugh and talk about it you know like wrestling i was gonna say like prime tna you know that's exactly what i was gonna say where it's like so hilariously bad that you just have to talk about it because it's so funny but like this is nothing is happening nothing nothing you could possibly care about and we talked about last night on the show how um you know wwe has especially raw has been dealt a bad hand with a lot of injuries this year they've Mm -hmm. uh with um you know they lost braun Strowman, uh kevin owens Sami Zayn. Uh, they of course famously lost Roman Reigns to leukemia. Um, and just so much is going down right now on Monday night raw that it's no wonder that the, they're stuck with all the guys that they really would otherwise not be using. Yeah. Or feeding to those guys they lost. Like <laughs> right. exactly. this is what happens when you build your show around two people or i guess you could say three people because brock lesnar we didn't even mention there which is kind of funny because he is the the champion and he's just not he doesn't feel like he's even part of the show um which is a problem in and of itself but yeah i mean this is what you run into i mean obviously you can't really fault them for not knowing what to do with roman situation like that just because of how long it took for them to get to where they are just Mm -hmm. a couple months ago with roman and then for it to end abruptly the way it did like you watch some of the programming notes and you're like, okay, you kind of see where they're going. And they're like, we have no idea what to do with Drew McIntyre. Now he's kind of screwed because 
his fall early uh, winter stuff was built around Roman Reigns. Like you could tell that that was the end game for heel Drew McIntyre is he would get a couple months feud, kind of like the Samoa Joe thing. He would never win the title for Roman, but he would make Roman look good. Roman would make Drew McIntyre look good. That kind of thing. Kind of like what happened with Braun Strowman in the Roman Reigns feud. Yeah, from a year and a exactly. Half ago. <laughs> And, and you know that the, yeah. I feel like it is kind of beneficial to Drew McIntyre in a way because Drew, you know, there's all this talk that he's in line for a big push, and there's that talk was in place even when Roman was around, and that that was the next feud for Roman Reigns. But Drew wasn't ever going to win that, so he right. had a ceiling. Whereas I feel like now there's not a huge ceiling for him. He actually could go all the way. Well, I mean, he'd have to find Brock. And um, I don't think he'd ever get to. Happen. I don't think he'd get to Brock. I think he'd get to the guy who beats Brock. I think Seth beats Brock, and then Drew beats Seth. Oof. I mean, that's almost a year down the line, though, right? Not necessarily. Give Seth. Like, I don't think they're doing Brock Seth until WrestleMania. Right. And, and then, then maybe then have so maybe SummerSlam. I mean, I mean that's almost a year. Yeah, it's maybe. almost a year. Yeah. I don't know because I, I think I have this feeling, and maybe I'm wrong, but. I'm throwing out like my predictions for a WrestleMania card. I think Drew's facing John Cena. And I mm. say that because um, all of the signs are pointing to Cena returning to Raw. That's one thing. I think mm. uh, like he's scheduled to work a SmackDown taping, but Cena himself earlier today said that none of that stuff's going to be televised. So I guess he's doing like post show stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, even though he's working SmackDown tapings, he's coming back to Raw. And. Uh, with him coming back to Raw, then I thought about Drew McIntyre and him cutting that promo saying that, you know, he's shaping Raw in his image and there will be no more part-timers. And I thought about that and I thought that either means he's going for Brock, who's a heel, so probably not, and who's the only other part-timer he could go for. Oh. But see, it's easy to flip Brock as a babyface because fans love Paul Heyman. Yeah, That's the weird but, part but at the same time... People love Paul Heyman now. They, they've smashed the narrative into people's heads so much that Brock is a lazy part-timer who doesn't care. But see, I think that, he's naturally appealing, though, right? I still look at him as a babyface. I just think that there's something naturally interesting. Like, guys like him... Like, Conor McGregor could say whatever, but I still think he'd have a passionate, like, babyface fan base. Like, I mean, with Becky Lynch, and there's just certain wrestlers and figures where... It doesn't really matter what they say and how much they drill it in. Like, this guy, you're supposed to hate this person. And then you see, like, Brock in person. You're like, oh, this guy is, like, a specimen. But, like, the, the sheer mention of Brock's name gets such a bad reaction these days just because people are sick of not having a champion around. Yeah. And so I think that has to be ended by a babyface. It has to be – we have to be safe. it should be Seth, though. I think they missed the moment with Seth. Um, it didn't I, feel like a big deal. I feel it like feel right now – beat Brock. Because, look right. because Monday Night Raw has only had one consistent babyface for the last year, and it has been Seth, mm-hmm. he's kind of the only guy who could be that savior. Whereas, like, Braun, you know, he's turned multiple times in the last year, and he's hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, that would be a tough sell to say that he's the guy who's going to save us from this part-timer. Whereas Seth is known as the Monday Night Raw workhorse. He's the guy who comes out there, gives you a huge match every week, and... Uh, fans love the burn it down stuff. I think, I I think he is that guy. I think he's the guy you can put up there with Brock. But at the same time, like I said, I I feel like if you are going to push Drew McIntyre, but not to the title yet, you have to push him to something as good as the title. And so I thought about what's the biggest thing you could do for Drew McIntyre to still give him a big thing for WrestleMania. And I think that's John Mar Cena. Sullivan. <laughs> I think it's John Cena. I think. Uh, 
I think that's the guy that you put up there with Drew McIntyre, and you have him. Can I tell you what I would do? Okay. The second I saw John Cena was going to come back for a run, I was like, oh, the timing actually works out here. Because you know what would be fun, or at least more entertaining for the next six months than what Raw is currently doing? John Cena calling out Brock Lesnar. Kind of the way, remember how Brock Lesnar came back to the WWE? Mm-hmm. And he F5'd John Cena and then left. What if John Cena came out in and, Brock yes, and took the title from Brock Lesnar in surprise fashion? And then we have a champion who's there every week for like a six month run. And, it's the, and I, I feel like Cena's Drew McIntyre an, the rub. Cena's another wrong one, though, because Cena is another case of you have you keep putting all this emphasis on television on Brock Lesnar is not here. He is a part timer who doesn't love mm-hmm. you, the fans. And then it's like. Oh, but we're going to have... like It's same with these people saying, oh, it should be The Rock who beats Brock Lesnar. Oh, and like, no, you can't, you can't see, the sell the idea John to Cena, people. Have you, le- have you read that interview from this past week where he apologized to The Rock yeah, about his comments? I, I get it. Yeah, and it, he's said that for like the last year. I get where Cena is like, you know, I was wrong. I didn't understand that The Rock was opening doors for me, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Get that. Uh, but on the other hand, you still are painting the perception to fans that John, I mean that part timers don't love you. And that is, that is what you do every time you say Brock Lesnar comes here and he's lazy and he isn't here for you. And like having Brock Lesnar then lose to somebody else who we already know Cena's got two more movies in the pipeline, at least that he has. I mean, would that be more entertaining, though, is my thing. Is I don't really care about how it works down the line. I just care about making Raw more um, tolerable <laughs> for the next six months. And I'm more here for part-time John Cena for a six-month so, uh, For me, I'm just like, if I didn't have SmackDown as a refuge, I'd mm-hmm. care a little bit more. But like every time Raw is bad, I'm just like, whatever, I got SmackDown tomorrow, and I like SmackDown. And my kids, like, my kids are at a point where they don't care about Raw, but they love SmackDown. Like, all of their guys are on SmackDown. My son is, like, hugely into Rey Mysterio right now. That's his dude. Um, Both my kids are, like, so anti-Randy Orton. Like, that's the thing is they don't even have heels on Raw they can hate. They're like, "Uh, Baron Corbin sucks, but they're not like, oh, my God, I want to see him get beat. But on the other hand, they're like, oh, Randy Orton's so mean. I hate that things he does to Jeff Hardy and Rey Mysterio. I want to see him get beat. And I think... SmackDown is effective in that regard. SmackDown is very effective when it comes to their baby faces, very effective when it comes to their heels. They're just an effective show. Yeah. Um, I mean, they do have the Lucha House Party on Raw to really hate and suck their <laughs> teeth into, right? Yeah, those are baby faces. <laughs> you shouldn't hate that. Uh, but they, uh, they have a numbers advantage every week, so you're supposed to hate them or like them. I don't Who know what, what's going on with like what is that even even building to yeah yeah Yeah, they're just it doesn't matter none of it matters but i will say this is like one of those things where uh, they're it seems like they're kind of toying with the finn balor stuff a little bit i mean now he got sick over the weekend so that pulled him out of from some events and stuff like that but like this is why you don't have one guy anymore like you don't spend five years only building up roman reigns and two years of braun Strowman because there's always the possibility that they're not there and then if you kind of screw like Finn Balor, remember just a few months ago was fed to Braun Strowman, just like Kevin Owens was and guys like that over the summer. It was like the summer of Braun 
we're building him back up as a realistic challenger, and he's someone who could beat Roman Reigns, beat Brock Lesnar, blah, 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 and try to make you forget the fact that he lost both of those feuds in 2017 and had um, one of the worst Brock Lesnar matches of all time at, what was it, No Mercy or something no like Mercy. that? No Mercy, yeah. Yeah, it was Los awful. Angeles. Yeah, not good. Um, so I've never been a Braun guy, I will say that, but Finn Balor... I mean, he's the first universal champion like that. If this, if they'd handled him better over the past year, because it has just been a nightmare for him, they would be okay. Cause this would be an exciting time. If you're a wrestling fan for raw, because you have Seth Rollins now has this opportunity who fans love Finn Balor. If he had been treated differently over the past year, it's like, Oh, we have these guys that we could latch onto now. And maybe they call up somebody. I'm actually maybe the most surprised that Vince hasn't just kind of panicked the fact that he is openly pushing into the script. Raw sucks. I'm yeah. kind of surprised that he hasn't just been like, he hasn't just pulled Hunter aside and been like, um, so I'm plucking some people now. I don't care what plans you had for them, but uh, I'm I'm bringing some people up to Raw next week. And it can't just be Lars Sullivan. Like, Undisputed Era, all of them are coming up and crashing the Monday Night Raw set next week. I'm surprised he hasn't panicked in that regard yet. Yeah, I'm not. Or maybe... He is panicking. It's just, I, what do you do? Is it like, a, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. Is it that kind of thing when he yeah. brings up the fact that Raw sucks? Like, see, I'm fine. Would Vince McMahon, if he I mean, was really I, nervous about the product, would he really allow Seth Rollins to say what he said? I mean, I think part of doing all of that last week and talking about how much Raw sucks and making uh, Baron Corbin the face of that is to build some hype for next week. Because, like, I think it's pretty clear Baron Corbin's going to lose at TLC. And if he loses at TLC in any fashion, he's not going to get the position. Then all of a sudden, you can then hype next Monday's Raw pretty much all day on social media as there's going to be some changes to Raw. What's going to happen now that Baron Corbin's out of power? Tune in to find out. Hulk Hogan. Um, I mean, it's reportedly Angle. So Is it really? I mean, he's that scheduled sucks. to be at... He's scheduled to be at Raw, but who knows? You could have the character go, you know what? I didn't like my treatment. I'm turning the job down. But either way, they have to do something exciting to get people going. I don't know what it is. Kurt Angle's not the answer. Kurt Angle just, I don't miss, I haven't watched Raw and been like, you know what Raw's missing? Kurt Angle. Let's bring back that guy. Let's <laughs> bring back that really sad walk and the uh, really just uncomfortable script reading. Not good. Kurt Angle cannot cut a full promo. No, he can't. Anymore. It's Which really is... sad because I think you and I talked about this where it's like if you watch some 2003 Kurt Angle stuff, you're like, oh, so it's good. a different person. I don't think this is actually who, like, I feel like 2018 Kurt Angle and 2003 Kurt Angle are completely different human beings. Oh, no. I think they're completely different species. Like, do you remember yeah. um, Men in Black where um, Vincent D'Onofrio's yes. character? Yeah, no, yeah. that's what happened to Kurt Angle. Like, <laughs> like he, look at him. He's like weirdly shaped. Like, no, he was invaded by a like cockroach and then <laughs> and, like took over his body and like he used to talk like very eloquently and now he's just like oh we're going to have a and like that's him he <laughs> is the cockroach from men in black yes that would make sense um i want to g- g- kind of open up the floor for you i okay. i know you've been dying to have a normal daniel bryan heel conversation because okay. you're alone on rbr right now on yes. the new Daniel Bryan is actually good island. I'm with you, though. I think it's good. I think it's entertaining. I think it seems like the argument from... And I could be 
um, not misquoting, but summarizing slightly inaccurately here. But the, from my sense from the other hosts of RBR is that it seems like it's kind of more of like, is this really best for business? Which should you really turn a good baby face that you know the crowd loves, blah, 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 and there's no good heels. I mean, other good baby faces to eventually take the title off Daniel Bryan, so why do this now? None of that should matter to you as a fan because ultimately we don't need to worry about WWE's bottom line. We don't need to worry about the future of the product, and it's not Daniel Bryan's fault if the company doesn't have other baby faces that have been built up properly for him to lose to down the road. That's not a Daniel Bryan problem. What we can look at is what Daniel Bryan is doing with what he has right now. And um, if he's back full time, like he is, and he's still putting on the matches that he is like, we should only care as a viewer, whether or not this is entertaining in the moment. And in the moment when I'm watching Daniel Bryan ask Mustafa Ali, what kind of car he drives and And slap him in the face for it. That's great. I'm entertained. I don't care about all the other noise. I'm enjoying Daniel Bryan. I'm enjoying it more than the AJ Styles babyface run. I don't. I, I love AJ Styles, but it just had kind of gotten a little boring. Like Samoa Joe was more interesting than AJ. Daniel Bryan is the most interesting thing on SmackDown right now, and it's entertaining. And like you said, SmackDown is good. Um, I don't have any qualms with it. I think it's it's fine. And I'm I just like entertaining wrestling. And he's doing good promo work. Daniel Bryan's just really good at both roles. And if he wants to do this and they want to experiment, he wants to kind of see where this goes. I'm okay with it because he's also still having great matches and not doing the chicken shit heel stuff, you know, where he's still winning clean. I mean, he's doing some like schmozzy stuff, but he's beat Mustafa Ali clean this week and he's using the heel lock and he's not using the yes lock anymore. There's still a lot of in-ring psychology. You can tell there's still a lot of thought and yeah, the you people stuff is a little over the top, a little, egregious at times but ultimately every week i've watched the new daniel bryan i've enjoyed it the only thing is i don't like it calling it the new daniel bryan they could have called it something better or just i i listened to rosenberg on cheap heat last week and i actually agree with this where it's like you know what would have been the most heelish thing he could have done it's just been like my name is actually brian because his real name is brian danielson if like that's uh-huh. what it was instead where he's just like i'm brian and you can refer to me as brian now instead of the new Daniel Bryan and shoving that down their throat because it just, it doesn't work for me. I don't like that. It kind of reminds me, it's kind of as awkward as Michael Cole yelling, it's boss time and stuff like that. We're like, this is a little cringy, but out that's a very minor complaint because I, uh, I still enjoy it. And Daniel Bryan actually good. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, I suppose there's no more of the floor for me to take, but uh, because I agree with everything you said there, I think, that uh and daniel bryan had been toying with the idea of a heel run for a while i think there is a big piece of him that likes working as a heel and he has said this before uh last year before he got cleared they were kind of hinting at the idea of him being aligned with kevin owens and Sami Zayn. uh and like i feel like he's been kind of teetering with or kind of i guess playing with the idea of a heel run for a minute and then when he got cleared to wrestle it's like well no the fans want to see this you need to be a babyface for a minute. But I just look at the fact that he, there's there's clearly some Daniel Bryan influence here. Like a, a lot of this seems to naturally come from him. Uh, I think he seems to be putting his all into this. There doesn't seem to be any sense of like, you can kind of see when, especially when Bryan felt like something was a little stupid, like the Wyatt family stuff, where you could see that his he wasn't necessarily feeling it as much. 
and you know it was to nice. say the least <laughs> yeah but i you just kind of get a almost like a, a reinvigorated sense from him like he's getting mm-hmm. good heat here um and he he seems to be enjoying it and he's wwe champion i don't know what what there is to complain about here uh and this I, was better than what he was doing like he was feeding with big cast earlier this year like yeah. this is far more compelling i this is more entertaining like I don't know. I feel like it's nitpicking to be annoyed by this. I don't. I don't get it. I, I'm. I'm having fun with it. So I'm Same. happy that Daniel Bryan's a heel. I'm happy with the stuff he's doing. I think he has a really effective babyface in front of him with AJ Styles. Uh, fans love AJ, and mm-hmm. I think if there's a babyface you can kind of hang your hat on, it is AJ Styles. And so as a result, I think. You have you have a solid foundation. You can kind of play with other elements. It is mind-boggling that uh, WWE was so willing to turn to turn Daniel Bryan when he was so popular, whereas like we were screaming for Roman Reigns for the last four years. Well, and, they just don't look at them the same. Like the powers that be don't look at Roman Reigns the same way they look at Daniel Bryan, and that's never been the case. But I, I guess it's just interesting because like you'd be willing to sacrifice that reaction, but not. The one that's already that I don't know. Yes, <laughs> I, I guess they're that's... adamant. They're stubborn. It's the same thing with John Cena and Hulk Hogan and guys before him. Like I think the company, especially Vince, just sees certain superstars in different lights. And some people must be protected at all costs. Others, not so much. They like Daniel Bryan. Do I think that they see him as a top guy? No. I think they value what he is. And he's a very good hand that a lot of the fans that um, have become more and more vocal of the product over the last like 10 to 15 years. Cause the product, the fan base has kind of changed like the people, like just thinking about 2002. I mean, you were in a, a wrestling encyclopedia. Think back to like the test matches, like six minute long raw matches with Scott Steiner. Mm-hmm. Like those fans are not tuning into, those are not the same people that love Daniel Bryan. So I think the fan base is kind of gravitated, but Vince still has his same kind of guys where he's like, Nope. This is my top baby face, and we are going to go with him for as long as humanly possible. And that is that. And I will not. But other guys, he's like, oh, Daniel Bryan, you want to do this? Okay. I mean, I can see that you're you're valuable to us. You sell a lot of merch. A lot of online fans love you. You're an indie darling. You have value to us. We will not deny that. But are we ever going to build our company around you? Are you going to be the face of the company? Absolutely not. That doesn't mean they don't value him. It just means that they value him differently. Like he's a B plus for them. And I don't agree. Like it's the same thing with Johnny Gargano. He's one of the most intriguing, well-rounded acts in the company. He's also doing great heel work on NXT. I mean, there's a bunch of parallels there that I've talked about in this podcast where um, it should be interesting to see what happens when he gets called up. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, I, I don't know. I just don't think th- there's just certain guys that Vince is always going to be more, um obsessed with in certain things but uh daniel bryan does not fall in that category uh yeah that's that's too bad but i guess good in this case because we got the i was six, gonna say it's creative. not too bad yeah because because it's annoyed it, if daniel bryan was a baby face for like eight years in a row yeah that would suck and that's part of the reason i'm okay with it it's just i wasn't enjoying like it felt forgettable his run up until this point daniel bryan matters a lot more now than he did two months ago and I think that's the important thing here is they're at least extracting value out of Daniel Bryan being back in the company. Cause we've already kind of forgotten how insane it is 
that he's wrestling again. Like, oh yeah, I, kind I, of a, like that's an. I, insane I was just thing talking to, to my brother about this uh, the other day. I said, if you had told me just one year ago that one year from now Daniel Bryan will be wrestling full time, WWE champion and a heel, mm-hmm. I would have gone. You are nuts. You there's not a chance any one of those three things happens, let alone all three. And, and here we are. Yeah, and that's part of the reason like perspective matters. So just the people who are upset about where Daniel Bryan's doing and stuff like that, it's like, I'm just glad he's back, one, but also he's on top of this show and he is having incredible matches with Mustafa Ali and giving other guys opportunities and he's gonna have a great match at TLC against AJ Styles and it's just fun. He had a great match against Brock Lesnar and I um I don't know. I think it's fine. I think we need to um just kind of accept Daniel Bryan. Like it's good. This is not bad heel work. This is not Jinder Mahal. Like that was another thing. Jinder Mahal was champion on SmackDown for a very long time and did awful heel work. And then there's Shinsuke who's been in and out, but like there've been a lot of bad heel work in this company over the last decade plus this is not an example of bad heel work like this is some of the better heel material that um the company has put on their talent so i don't know i'm okay with uh, daniel bryan i want to get uh, your thoughts though on oscar through the revitalization of oscar over the I mean, last couple of weeks that could all be in it? that could all be toast in a matter of days so i don't favored? know last um, time i saw she was favored uh let me see i hadn't looked at it uh in since yesterday but i don't know i think it's the smart call because i think the rumble needs charlotte and becky more than it needs oscar because like i don't know uh, because she won last year i don't even think she needs to be i kind of hate it when the previous year's winner is in the rumble the following year only because essentially that says that they didn't hang on to their spot. And so I kind of like it when the previous year's Royal Rumble winner is defending the title at the next Rumble because then it just kind of shows like a year's progress. And so when it comes to Asuka, I feel like her victory at TLC makes the most sense. That said, do I trust them to do it? Absolutely not. My gut says Charlotte wins. (laughs) But... They're uh, almost identical right now, the odds. So it's 120, plus 120 for Asuka, plus 110 for Charlotte. Becky is a heavy underdog. Yeah, I, I think we know Becky. If the Rumble needs anybody, it's Becky Lynch. I think the Rumble's going to need a big baby face for people to get behind. Like She just can't lose this match. I think if it if someone loses, it has to be Oscar. I mean, it's a ladder match, so that's the thing. Is Oh, that's right, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, nobody has to get pinned. That's, that's the true. beauty of this, is Becky... Yeah. <laughs> doesn't have to lose necessarily at all. Nobody has to really lose as much as somebody just needs to ascend the ladder. Uh, you know, I forgot that because SmackDown ended with Oscar hitting them both with a kendo stick back and forth. Mm-hmm. There was no ladder, <laughs> right? They weren't because usually WWE is so um, th- like just forthcoming and just drive this point home of like the remember when they have those episodes where all oh, especially the talks, Money in like, the Bank on the ladders, yeah, yeah the, the week before where they're all having those promo like. There was none of that this week. I didn't even thought about that until you said that. Yeah, so last week why. at the contract signing, they had the belt hanging from the right. Yeah, from the rafters, but that was it. Uh, yeah, yeah so because really they were zoomed in, Kevin Dunn was very much zoomed in on the facial reactions of everybody involved. So yeah, I guess that's why I feel like they could. Th- this could really go any which way, but I feel like Becky is a pretty solid bet. 
to not walk out as champ. I would go Asuka here. I think if you're going to start this back over with Asuka, if she loses again after all this hype to bring her back and that like her points that she was making where it was a fluke and then the match she had with Charlotte this week ended in a um, DQ. A DQ, yeah. yeah. Um, so no finish there. And then I, I, ending with Asuka just laying waste to both of them and kind of like, hey, I still matter. And then for her not to win, I just, I think that's it. It kind of reminds me of the Shinsuke stuff. We're like, all right, you're reaching the tipping point here. If he doesn't beat AJ after not beating Jinder, this is it. Like, people aren't going to take him seriously after this. Like, Samoa Joe had a bunch of opportunities, didn't beat him. All right, well, I guess Samoa Joe's out. Like, you only, because remember, Samoa Joe, Roman Reigns and AJ Styles, two gigantic feuds for him. Lost them both. Nobody cares. Now he's feuding with Jeff Hardy, sadly. And then it, it's just easy for that momentum to just be zapped and that be it. And then people will know it's going to be extremely difficult to get them to buy back in. People will always buy back in on Charlotte. She's just triple H today. Like that's, <laughs> who she, that's who Charlotte is. Like she's going to get 15 title rants. Who cares? Oscar needs this more than any of them. I 100% agree. I just don't trust them. <laughs> that's all. I don't either, but that's but, what they should do. But I do think that it's, I, I think Oscar is a pretty safe bet. Um, I think the safest bet you can make is that Becky Lynch, uh, her days with that title are numbered. Does this go on last? Uh, that's another thing I don't trust them to do. I think it should, uh, but I yeah. do not trust that it will. I guess the only other option is Daniel Bryan AJ, right? No. Like Dean and Seth? I think Dean and Seth could main event, and oh. I think... No. I think Braun and Baron could No be way. Braun and Baron? Yeah, those I'm not convinced Braun's competing, but cuz I think I still if I had to bet Bray Wyatt comes back in his place here. If I really had to bet. Mhm. I don't know. That sounds awful. No, thank you. The the crowd cannot end. The show cannot end with that kind of reaction. But then again, do I see them ending TLC with Asuka um standing with the belt celebrating? It's a tough tough vision see in the end of 2018 but um guess we'll see yeah, i think that's what i would do definitely not ron denied I mean, jacks I, I think it should it, i think it should be oscar celebrating because i think let's end the year where we started we ended the rumble that's this year point. with uh oscar winning the rumble and having the celebration mm-hmm. let's end it with a title reign and then you could say that oscar even if you ignore pretty much everything else this year had a good year <laughs> if you just go with where she started or where she ended yeah I, I like that. That's what they should do. And then we get a six-month view with the Iconics. Yes. <laughs> they are so bad. In my notes, like, I don't know if you remember that match they had with Charlotte oh, a right couple at, weeks ago. Yeah, They had right that back-to-back where one of them got disqualified. Billy Kay, a lot of botches. I was just pausing, and I'm like, oh, she fell backwards like two seconds way too soon, and that was bad. And you're, it was really, really bad. They're not good. I want them to be good, but they're just not good um but yeah tlc should be fun should be should be fun um but will i really do appreciate you making the time i know asking uh you to talk more wrestling after (laughs) rbrb week is a tough ass so i really do appreciate you making time it means a lot uh we can find you on twitter at william rbr we can listen to you every wednesday night on uh, mixler.com is it slash fan off yep slash fan off Mixer.com slash fanoff and also rbrwrestling.com. I've seriously been doing that show for 13 years. Uh, 
going on 14 in oh my god i've been doing that show a really long time um but the cool thing is uh i have i've i've been on the show since day one uh every episode we've ever put out is available at rbrwrestling.com seriously check it out uh there's a lot of content there and uh you've been listening a long time chase we've been doing it for i've been ever. listening since early college so yeah almost a decade yeah so it's it's been just it's one of my favorite things to do uh it's evolved so much over time but if you ever want if you're like somebody who goes back and binge watches old professional wrestling um and want to know what like people were talking about as far as like the podcast realm was concerned uh like watch your old wrestling and then hit the rbr wrestling archive uh there's some really cool old stuff there and you can kind of hear what we were talking about at the time I mean, it's uh, my favorite podcast. It's like it's one of those things where I am attached because I listen for so long. Uh, I've been on the podcast a couple times. But you have been. Yeah, I almost asked you this week to fill in for Maxwell, but then I was like, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like you kind of have busy Wednesdays sometimes, so yeah. I was like, I don't know if he's going to be able to make it. So, but I almost it, did. It never hurts to ask. Okay. You never know. Well, all right. Well, I'll keep you all in right. mind because I'm not going to well, be there this Wednesday. Oh no! What? <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not on Wait, the. Wait, I thought next Wednesday was the uh, the mailbag one. Or that's is that the two week. Weeks? That's the yeah. That's in two weeks. Uh, next Wednesday, my son's Christmas recital. I can't miss that for a podcast. That's true. I mean, you could podcast from the recital. Just put on the microphone and everything. Yeah, I could. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right. Any... <laughs> Don't do that. Go to the recital. Uh, be a good dad. And uh, anyway, we will talk in soon, buddy. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. And that'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. I just want to remind you guys, if you like today's episode and you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you could take a second, leave the show a five-star rating and a review. If uh, you're not an Apple Podcast listener, remember you can find the show on Spotify, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, Google Play, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, Be sure to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can access all of my previous episodes and also find all my writing. I'm writing there fairly often and also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. Uh, thank you for your support and we'll be back with another episode very soon. Thanks guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.